hello. Welcome back, finally, to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. My name is Jeff Bruce. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm joined by my father and fellow pastor, John Bruce. Friends, it has been a minute. It's been more than a minute. It has been eight months, Dad, since we recorded a sabbatical. I mean, a podcast. That You can tell what I'm thinking about, my sabbatical, because I took a sabbatical. You did not take a sabbatical, and yet we both took a sabbatical from podcasting, and it's good to be back. You know, Dad, in three words, why don't you sum up the last eight months? What have you been up to? Well, we got out of the habit of doing podcasts, so... Um, that was kind more of hypocritical than, for us to do a podcast on habits, it seems to me. That was more than three words, oh, Dad, sorry. but uh, yes, we are hypocrites uh, when it comes to podcasting. We never really said how often we were going to do this, though. Not, no, we didn't. We have made no promises. Yeah. So. And we never claimed to be mathematicians either, so. That's good. Yeah. So you doing all right? Doing great. Good. Doing great. Good to be here. Excited to start a new series today. That's what we're doing, and it's a new series entitled Dirty Deeds. Not based on the ACDC song, bearing that name. Rather, it's based on what St. Paul says in Romans 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So according to Paul, there are deeds that must be put to death, or those deeds will put us to death. As the Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Paul says there are deeds that we practice. The Greek word is praxis, which you could translate practices or habits. That's why we're talking about this. Paul says that we come into the Christian life with these deeply ingrained habits, and these habits live in our bodies. So they must be identified and crucified. Paul lists these practices, these habits in a variety of places, has a number of vice lists in his letters where he lists the the deeds of the flesh. We're going to be looking at them over the next seven, eight nine weeks, I'm not totally sure. But we're going to work through what these practices are, how they manifest, and and then how to put them to death. And and Dad, as I was thinking about this, the reason I think it's so important to discuss is, uh, you know, we focus so much on building good habits, the development of good habits. That's what this podcast has been about. But, But the truth is, the reason we don't develop good habits is because we have bad habits. Exactly. As Aquinas said, well, I'm going to quote you quoting Aquinas because you've quoted this so much, but only habit can overcome habit. Right. Is that what he said? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so until we kill the bad habit, the deed of the flesh, as Paul would, would say, we, we don't have room for the, the good habits to take root. Right. We, go ahead. Uh, well, I would add to that, because most habits are unconscious, um, you cannot put a habit to death until you've recognized it and identified it. And uh, so you have to be aware there is something that needs to be replaced, something that needs to be put to death. Right. And so hence the lists, hence this podcast, how do we identify things that we need to to, uh, put to death and replace? That's good. We have to pull the weeds before we can plant the good tree. Right. That will bear the good fruit. So we're going to look at a variety of these deeds of the flesh, and today we're looking at the mother of all dirty deeds, and that's pride. As Augustine said, pride is the mother that gives birth to every other sin. But before we talk about pride, I want to recap some things we've discussed previously uh, about Christian life 
what changes when we come to Christ, what doesn't change when we come to Christ? Because, yeah, I think a lot of Christians have this question floating around in their heads. Like, why do I need to worry about habits? I'm a new person in Jesus. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I've got his power. I'm free from sin. Why worry about building disciplines, structures, systems, habits? After all, I have the power in Christ to choose obedience. So why not just use my willpower in Christ to choose to obey? Why, why worry about habits? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and we don't realize the power of habits and uh, how we have been building bad habits by living under the control of sin for years and years and years. And the fact that we be, have a new spirit living in an old body does not automatically change the old body. That's where the battle for who is going to reign, is Christ going to reign or is sin going to reign, is fought. I am a new person, but I have to become the master of my body as Christ becomes master of me. Yeah, and as you said, so much of this is ingrained and unconscious. Yeah. And yeah. I think often we think of sin in the Christian life as actions and decisions and the will to do things. Right. And it certainly is that, but it's more than that. Yeah. Sin is described in the Bible as a, a power, a pervasive power on which in which we live under. And before coming to Christ, being under the power of sin, the dominion of sin, and the dominion of Satan means that, that we are living in this atmosphere of sin, yeah. where it has dominion over us, and in ways that cut to the core of our very being, conscious and unconscious, we are just doing things in opposition to God uh, because we are under that power. Right. Yeah, and we're rebels by nature, and so whatever we do feels natural. It right. feels right. Mm -hmm. It feels like it, it doesn't feel right when the when we reap the consequences sometimes, but a lot of times we're we're so blind we cannot trace the consequences back to the the actual action that caused them. Right, and so we never question our action. We don't see ourselves as the slaves we really are. It reminds me of that proverb, and I can't remember which one it is. You probably know which one it is, but uh, when a man's way brings. Um, himself to ruin something like that you know uh, his heart rages against the lord yeah <laughs> you know that yeah. uh, we can't see the destructiveness of our actions until we experience consequences and then exactly it, when we're in a fallen state we then rage you know why is this happening to me yeah. um, because we don't see the the internal logic of our choices and being under the power of sin yeah exactly oh, that's a great point so we're new people living in old bodies, and I think it's important to emphasize the, the bodily nature of sin. When Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about the gravitational pull of sin that just exists in our physical bodies and will exist until we go to glory and are, and are raised from the dead, until we get exactly. new bodies. Yeah, we're always infected with sin. Right. And so we're always going to have to be killing sin. This war will never be over on this side of eternity. And yet, by the power of the Spirit, Paul says we can make progress yeah. in killing these deeds so that they do not reign in our members. Yeah. And, and so Paul lists a bunch of them. Are you going to say something else? No. Nope. All right. Yeah, so let's talk more about pride. Um, and I picked pride first just because theologians often pick pride first as sort of the the uh, the primal sin or the first sin or the the archetypal sin that gives birth to all others. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, when you think about pride, how would you define it? How do you feel like the Bible defines it? I think when people think about pride, they think about vanity. Um, but pride is more than vanity, and that, that pride, like you say, it is the archetypal sin because it was the first sin. And uh, Paul says in 
First uh, Timothy three six as he lists the uh, qualifications for elders. He says, "Not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil." And so it was actually what caused the devil to become the devil was con- pride. It was conceit, and uh, that's what where all the problems began. Um, Isaiah. 14, 13 through 14, most theologians think this is speaking of, of Satan. Yeah, some do. And some do. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Well, most is more than 50%, right? So, <laughs> anyway. I'll stick with some, but go ahead. Yeah. But some say, but anyway, he says, You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and most importantly, I will be like the Most High. Yeah. And so, apparently, the, the idea here is that is that Lucifer mm-hmm. became Satan mm-hmm. when he said, I'm going to be like God. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that the first temptation he gives to mankind is the same thing. You can be like God, too. Yeah. You know, don't listen to God. Eat of the tree, and you'll become wise, and your eyes will be open. And so, pride becomes that I don't need to live in subjection to God. I don't need God. I can operate independently of God. And that becomes, as, as Augustine said, the mother of all sins. Yeah, vanity is sort of a fixation on appearance or achievements or being seen a certain way yeah. by others. But pride, we could really say, is, is just um, this excessive self-focus, self-reference, um, that views the self as the measure of all things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the, my North Star is me. Everything revolves around me. Yeah, and, and defined that way, you can see how there is no room for God in pride, because the starting point for pride is me. Yes. How did I feel about that? How did I think about that? What do I want? It's uh, exactly. It's ego. Yeah. And, and so, uh, by its very nature, it excludes God from the from consideration. Yeah. Exactly. And and of course, Jesus is just the opposite. As the as the example of the perfect man, uh, he humbles himself. Not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. Um, which is the the stance that every that humans were created to take, because that's for our best interest. Because we we make poor gods, yeah. Um, as we've proven throughout the centuries, uh, we're pretty good creations, but we're bad gods. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that is really the the temptation, the the fundamental one to be like God that Adam and Eve experienced is you're created to be like God as an image bearer. We want to be more than an image bearer. We want to be a determiner. We exactly. want to be one that can arbitrate reality and make decisions based on what we want. Yeah. And that's taking yeah. a role we were never supposed to have. I, I want to ask you, because I think this is the thorny thing that comes up when we talk about pride, is this discussion has been so psychologized over the last 100 years that people talk all the time in our culture about having a healthy sense of self-esteem and uh, a healthy view of the self and uh, a healthy kind of pride and uh, all of these different things. And and it, and it seeps into Christian discussions all the time about, you know, to love other people, we need to love ourselves, and all of these uh, assumptions. And I want to tread lightly here, but I think it's important to, to discuss a little bit, because 
you know, Tim Keller makes a, a great point in, in one of his books. He says, up until the 20th century, traditional cultures, and still many cultures in the world, they thought that the problem in life was having too high a view of yourself. That was the, the root of all evil. And, and the belief today, it, and it's deeply rooted in everything, is that people misbehave for lack of self-esteem. It's because they have too low a view of themselves. And, and it's sort of like, in traditional cultures, viewing yourself too highly was the problem, and now it's become, well, if you have a low view of yourself, then you'll have a low view of others, and, and, and so that's the key to everything, is getting the view of yourself right. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? What, you know, some thoughts forward. Well, it certainly hasn't worked. I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that view, I mean, you'll you go to a prison, and you'll find a lot of people with very high views of themselves. Right. And, uh, and, and so I... I think that that it it's about confidence, and is my confidence because of who I am, or is my confidence in God, yeah, and and what what He's made me to be? So if my confidence is God directed, then confidence is a good thing, because confidence has got f- factual backing, because I can be confident in God; He's not going to fail me or let me down. But if my confidence is somehow in myself and in my thinking, my reasoning, my actions, my goodness, or anything like that, there's nothing to back that up. Um, because I am, as we already said, I am a, a new man living in an old body, and that old body is constantly striving to control me. And it seems that the way of wisdom in the Bible always begins with reproof. It always begins with correction. You cannot be wise without being corrected. And that view of self, that modern view of self, almost precludes correction because it's, it's almost a denial that you're a good person and you are all that you should be and you just need to believe that. Well, that's not the case. We're all messed up and we need to be corrected in order to grow. Yeah, and that is the irony, as you mentioned, of the the self-esteem movement is that this inordinate focus now on self-esteem and your view of yourself, it it, uh, has not reduced rates of depression or anxiety or these maladies that we say are rooted in having a a too low a view of yourself and having an appropriate view of yourself. And so, yeah, I think we could say the Bible certainly wouldn't say hate yourself as an image bearer of God or something like that. But I think the Bible would give us a completely different framework for thinking about viewing ourselves. And it would just say it starts with our view of God. Yeah. That's that's the key. You you and that's the problem, I think, with this inordinate focus on self-esteem is, you know, Luther defines sin as the self curved in on itself. Mm-hmm essentially. And, and when you're fixated on how do I view me, well, you're precluding God from entering that conversation at all. And so even in trying to raise your self-esteem, you can be precluding God, uh, which is the heart of pride. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're trying to cure the disease by the disease, and uh, it just doesn't work. So I think seeing yourself correctly is, is focusing on who, whose I am. Right rather than who I am. Mm-hmm. And therefore, because I belong to God, only he can give an accurate definition of who I am, what I was created for, what my value is, all these different things. I can't come up with that for myself, nor do I need to come up with that for myself. 
Yeah, by the grace of God, I am what I am, yeah. as, as Paul yeah. says. And uh, when I look to him, I become clear. When I look away from him, <laughs> my life is in chaos exactly. and, and disorder. Yeah. And I like the way Keller says it. Um, he says, the problem with self-esteem, whether it is high or low, is that every single day we are in the courtroom. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, it's how how do I feel about how I'm doing or how today, yeah. how, today and how, how how did it go and what kind of judgments I need to make about myself and all of these things and, and the problem is this that if pride is at its root an obsessive self focus, people who are obsessed with themselves because they think they're better than others or obsessed with themselves because they think they're worse with others are still just obsessed with themselves. Exactly. And the only way to get free of that is in one sense to get free of yourself, to see how much God loves you, that you're created to be loved by God. That's the greatest thing about life. Yeah. That he views you as lovable yeah. and, and dignified and these things. Yeah. And then you're at peace in that relationship, uh, not by obsessively thinking, am I doing well enough? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, or am I worthy enough? Because yeah. ultimately, you're evaluating you, and it's this uh, it's this prison of the self yeah. that I think God wants to um, to free us from. And, and that gets back to the C.S. Lewis idea that humility, the opposite of pride, isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Exactly. And the only way you can do that is by having a firm, unchangeable um, image of yourself, which is based on God's what God says, which doesn't change. Right, and so I can forget about the self evaluation, yeah, uh, and just get on with living life. Yeah, and, and and there's sort of a there there are two things I think our culture says that are are absolutely paralyzing. First, you need to have a very healthy, high view of yourself, <laughs> self esteem, high whatever that means. Uh, but you also have to find yourself. You don't know who you are yet. Yeah. So you have to find you, and then you have to like that person. Yeah. And oh gosh, what a what a paralyzing journey to go on. I need to find the thing that I like about me, and I need to. It's just a when do I know I found it and, and, and that I'm likable enough? Yeah. It, it, it's uh, making me the measure of all things. Yeah. And ultimately, it's, it's paralyzing. And in my experience, whether it's people who think highly of themselves or lowly of themselves, the thing I think about a lot after I am with them is, wow, they think a lot about themselves. Exactly. They don't really think about other people. Yeah. They're just sort of obsessed with them. Yeah, and it's pride. Yeah, and that is pride, whether a, a, a fixation on my failures or a fixation on my successes. Exactly. Uh, both of them are rooted in the same thing, yeah. which is that the most important thing in life is what I think of me. Two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the same coin, exactly. And I think it gets back to our theology of just the image of God, that if I'm created as an image of God, as a representation of God, and that's who I am, who I am doesn't make sense apart from my relation to God. Yeah. Right, and and so the more I talk about my relation to me, with no consideration of my relation to God, it can only lead in a bad direction, right. and ironically, old, only lead me away from who I actually yeah. am. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're moons orbiting around around the sun, which is God. Right. And our planets are orbiting. But what if you get out of orbit, and you're not orbiting around something, you're in trouble. You're just wandering around and right. uh, lost in space. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, danger. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, that's a little bit on on, on pride versus self esteem, and, and ultimately the Bible would call us to 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 a much more liberating reality, which is just be loved by God, and then and then you can think about others and and get out of the prison of of self. How how does pride manifest as a deed of the flesh? Yeah. Right. What are the what are the works of the flesh that that come from pride? Other than everything, but 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 can you get get more specific than that? What does it look like? Well, I think it's 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 first of all, it is confidence in 
you more than confidence in God. And so that applies to every area of life. Right. Um, I have sexual desires. And so I decide to express those desires in a way out that God says will be destructive. So my problem isn't sex. My problem is pride. I'm just, I'm essentially saying I know more than God does. God says, do this and you'll destroy yourself. You'll destroy relationships. You're going to have misery. And, and I'm saying, oh no, that can't be right. Cause I, I, this looks good to me. And so that's what, that's pride. So pride really, that's why pride is at the root of every sin because we're taking our evaluation of the situation as tr- ultimate truth rather than taking by faith what God says because God knows more than we do. So I, I think that's, it, it's very helpful to think of, of sin as rooted in pride because I am not willing to humble myself and take God's truth and what God says as the best thing for me but try to find my own thing. Yeah, and it's important to see just how insidious and deeply rooted this is. So yeah. even things we wouldn't normally call pride um, are manifestations of pride. Yeah. So, so like anxious fretting about problems in life. Yeah. Um, well, it's because life's so uncertain and so hard and all of these things. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, but but what, what are my assumptions if I'm fretting about this so much that I have an ability to control? Um, when God says there are things that are completely out of my ability to control, yeah. there are eventualities I can't control. And so anxiety, it, it's, it, there can be multiple reasons for it, and there's physiological reasons, but a spiritual reason for anxiety would be I cannot be okay until I am the general manager of the universe. Exactly, And that's pride. Yeah. No, Jesus says, which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? If you cannot do even this little thing, if worrying can't, you can't add an, another hour to how long you're going to live. Why are you worried about other things? Right. Just that's that is that is pride, and it is it is manifested in worry and fear and anxiety because you're trying to manage what you are fundamentally incapable of managing, rather than trusting in in God who does manage them all for our good. Yeah. I think another manifestation of pride, and this really comes out in Luke 18 and the story of the two men who go up to the temple to pray, is comparison. And, and thinking I'm good because how I compare to other people. And, of course, the story is the Pharisee goes up and prays and, and prays a, a very strange prayer. In fact, Jesus says he's praised to himself. But he says, <laughs> I, I, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Um, I'm certainly not like that tax gatherer over there praying. And the tax gatherer, on the other hand, is beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He doesn't even say a sinner. He says, the sinner. And Jesus says, truly I say to you that the, the second man went away justified, rather than the first, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so whenever I find myself measuring myself with other people and somehow finding comfort or even discomfort in measuring myself. That's pride, essentially, because I've got, I'm on the wrong scoreboard. Uh, one of my favorite stories, and I've told Max this, is uh, 
I think Gordon Fee told this story in a book, but uh, there was a Bible study on the parable of the tax collector and the sinner, and they read it and all about the Pharisees saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. And, and then the Bible study leader closes in prayer and says, thank you, Lord, that we are not like the Pharisee in this story, but <laughs> beat our breasts in humility before you. And, uh, we, are, we are humbler than he we is. Are more, uh, we are so much humbler than he is, so much more real, you know. Yeah. aware of our need for grace. So, yeah, but again, that shows just how insidious this is, that uh, we, we constantly want to measure um, relative to other people because I know I'm okay if I'm better than that guy. Exactly. That's how I can feel okay about myself is yeah. knowing that guy, and that's why we feel good when other people fail. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah. and, and, and why we, we have a hard time with other people's success. Yeah. And I think that... that leads to an inability to honestly face our own failures and sins. Um, that God, as James says, that God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble, that the way to have a healthy relationship with God is to walk in the light and come clean about your sins every day and admit I was wrong, I blew it here, stuff like that, and be able to accept his forgiveness and also his power to do it better next time. But our pride keeps us, blinds us to those that need, like it did the Pharisee, to how bad we really are and how many areas of our life really need to get cleaned up so that we can live a happy life, essentially. Yeah. That's good. So those are the manifestations of pride. We could really say every sin is a manifestation of pride in some way, since yeah. it's choosing our way over God's. Exactly. Uh, which is pride. Yeah. Um, putting pride to death. How do we do it? I think it's important to remember as we talk about this, the Bible's assumption is that people love themselves. Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself. That, that doesn't mean, well, you need to learn to love yourself so you can learn your neighbor. It's saying, we assume you're self-interested. Yeah. So, so, so treat your neighbor the way you would want to be treated. Exactly. And, uh, you know, Paul in Ephesians 5, no one ever hated his own body but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. <laughs> Even if we are harming ourselves, we're doing it because we, we think this is the best route to take. Yeah. We, we think this is the way to be okay. Yeah. We think this is the, you know, it, we, we, we are still self-interested at, yeah. at, our, at our core. Um, and Paul says in, in 1 Timothy that, you know, people are, will be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. So I think it's just important to see the gravitational pull of my heart is to look out for number one, always. Even, even if I'm doing things that are destructive— the, yeah. the gravitational pull is to look out for for number one in yeah. some way to seek re- my own relief, my own happiness, my own whatever, and so that is the operating system of the flesh, and it's right. important to see that that that's that's going to be my bent in every situation. My natural bent is to act that way. So, what do we do to counteract that? To put those deeds to death, those habits. What 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 practically would you say? That's a good question. I, I think of Proverbs, that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to counsel. And so I think one of the things that Proverbs keeps emphasizing is distrust yourself. Distrust yourself. Realize that you have a heavy bent towards self-deception. And so to begin to, to subject yourself to other people's counsel, um, say, look, here's something I'm thinking about. How's this sound to you? Do you think this is wise or unwise? Why? So that you, because we're 
in abundance of counselors, there is, there is wisdom. And so be able not to be kind of a lone ranger, but subject yourself to the wisdom of, of the community you live in. Be with wise people so you can become wise. So I think that self-distrust is, is one of the big ones. And then along with that, spend time with God every day and, and ask him to open your eyes. Get in his word. And not just read it mechanically, but say, "Do I really believe this? Is this how am I how am I falling short of this part of Scripture? Do I believe it? Do I act on it? Do I behave on it? Confess your sins every day. Have a have a time where you just think about your day, think about your attitudes, think about your heart, and anything you find there that is out of out of character with what God says, just confess it and, and accept his forgiveness. So that self-distrust where you're constantly bringing yourself into the light and saying, what do I see, I think is, is one of the basic things of, of putting pride to death. What about that verse about following your heart, Dad, though? <laughs> and just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that verse. He who trusts his own heart is a fool. <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> That's what it says. What about following your heart, though, Dad? Just <laughs> that that inner voice. That's uh... anyway. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, and it is. Proverbs is is a real splash of cold water on the face to our, our culture that that essentially says there's there's the intuitions and leadings inside you that you just need to listen to, and you know the Bible would say the Holy Spirit's in you if you're a believer. Listen to Him. But by the way, it's the, the Word of God is is what the Spirit of God uses to, yeah. to direct us and so, other believers and other believers. And I think that's a key one. Is uh, yeah, my my plan always feels right. Oh yeah, in situations, yeah. Uh, because it's it's what comes naturally to me. Is yeah. this is what I should do in this situation? Yeah. I shouldn't confront this, or I should confront this, or 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 whatever. And yeah, I think it is so so good to to get feedback from other people. Yeah. No, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Mm. That means everything I think is going to seem right to me. And if I don't have a deeper view of myself to say how prone I am to the deception of pride, I will never take those things that seem right to me and say, do these seem right to you? You know, what, what do you think about that? But I don't know very many people who do that. There are a few times I've reread through my sermon manuscripts, and I think that's a really good point. That's a good way of putting it. And I think, of course, you think that idiot. You wrote it. It's like it's just that's the example I think of. You know, in every man's ways are right in his own eyes. Yeah. That uh, yeah, well, of course you would put it like that. You wrote the thing, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah. just just that uh, oh, my self justifying tendencies are rooted so deeply, and yeah, need that counsel. I would say um, prayer is the basic way we kill pride. Hmm. Because sin is independence from God. Mm -hmm. Pride is the sense that I am the measure of all things. I don't need God's counsel, strength, power. And, and so um, anytime I'm f I, I catch myself being proud, it's a chance to confess, but also pray to God about the situation. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest ones, especially with anxiety, is just if, I'm, if I can think about this, I can pray about it. Yeah. Right? That's the, if I could spend my mental energy thinking about this thing, that's, that's, that's my cue and I say, okay, if I'm going to spend time thinking about it, I might as well time, spend time praying about it. Otherwise, it's, it's just prideful stewing. Yeah. Th thinking that this is going to do something. Yeah. 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 Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Prayer is, is, you can tell how dependent you really are on God by how much you pray. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't pray much or don't feel the need to pray, you're, you are not dependent on God. Mm -hmm. 
simple as that. It's not that you're not disciplined enough. It's that you're not dependent enough. I, I think another habit interpersonally that helps with pride is all of us want to come into situations where we are important, we are paid attention to, or, or we are left alone, depending on what we want, right? That, that uh, That's the point in social settings is to be comfortable. Yeah. And um, humility is to say, how can I make another person feel loved and welcomed and um, take an interest in that person? Yeah. Yeah, that's and, good. And, and so playing the host in every situation. Yeah. And I've learned, you know, it's really a character thing and not a personality thing uh, because this conversation often devolves into extrovert versus introvert. But the reality is I've met extroverts and introverts who aren't very good at engaging people. And I've met extroverts and introverts who are amazing at drawing people out yeah. and, and making people feel important and, um, and significant. And so uh, it's a discipline is the point to pursue for yeah. everyone. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, not a personality trait. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I think what, what helps me on that and is helping me more and more is, is the idea that he who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So if I want to exalt myself before people, I will try to impress people or call attention to myself or try to do what will gather their compliments. If I want to be exalted by God, then I'll humble myself with people and be the host in the relationship, be the question asker, be the encourager, be curious about them rather than trying to get them to be curious about me. And the conversation itself may or may not turn out good. That's not the issue. The issue is, am I trusting God to do what he said he'll do, to exalt, to exalt me in, in the way he wants to? So the road to exaltation, which we all want to be, nothing wrong with wanting to be exalted, but the road is always, as Jesus took, it's a, it's a road downward. You, you look yeah. for how to, how to humble yourself and be the servant of all and, and make it about other people rather than make it about yourself. And, and I would say that is the key when we think about motive, is it is so wonderful to be free from the prison of self. Yeah. yeah. And you think about the most joyful moments in your life you were thinking about the experience. You weren't thinking about how you were thinking about the experience, right? Uh, yeah. You know, you see a beautiful view on top of half dome. Like, oh, what do I think about this? Is this making me happy right now? Or, you know, an incredible meal. Is this, is this the best meal I've ever had? I don't know. You know, the minute that thought creeps into your head, it ruins the thing, right? Because you're back in the prison of the self or when you're really um, taken by a person, you're not even thinking about what you think about the person. You're just experiencing the person. You're drawn out of yourself into this deeper communion with the world or with people. And that kind of flow state, I can't think of a better way of putting it, is, is where joy is found. But it's, it's never in this self-reflexive, evaluative uh, ego space. It's always being drawn out to a greater reality. Yeah, that's good. Now, overthinking is, uh, is one of the great curses, and overthinking is a result of pride. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so if you get free of yourself and, and just be able to enjoy the moment, and, and I think the flow state is a good, for those who have been involved in athletics especially, you know when you, you get past that point of being afraid or what people think about your performance or how am I going to do here or stuff like that, and you just can enjoy the the moment of, of, of sport for itself, 
that's when you when you play play your best because you've gotten out of your own way yeah it's like Michael Jordan at the end of uh, Last Dance where he's celebrating his championship and he's just playing the piano and they start talking about next year. And he says, what is wrong with all of you? You can't enjoy anything. And he's just playing the piano. But they said that's what made him the greatest is that he could be completely present in what he was doing and just didn't enjoy it. And so uh, Michael Jordan, the most humble man that ever lived. That's our model, Dad. So uh, <laughs> that's how we should end. Be like Mike. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll cut that part out. Yeah, but, yeah that's, uh, that's why Max is here. Cutting room floor. Hey, I see that I don't judge people, Dad. I see the good, even in even in Mike. Okay, I can see I can see something to emulate there. All right, so the man um, the man who could remember yeah. everyone who ever slighted him his whole life. Yeah, humility. Yeah. <laughs> well, and thank you that we're not like that. Per yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Here's the trap, right? Yeah. That is. No, hey, I I was trying to be redemptive there, Dad. Man, you were you, redemptive. You really you were very just, redemptive. You, you did. You just, man, you killed my my example. Anyway, <laughs> um, good. you have anything else to say? Oh, always helps things to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think pride is so slippery. Yeah. That sometimes it just helps to know what pride feels like. Even when you can't necessarily identify it mentally, so that's what I'm working on. Is when I feel like I have to rush, that's pride. When I feel like I'm anxious or afraid, that's pride. Uh, when I when I get angry, that's pride. When I you know all the things that where I am taking control of the wheel and I've got to make this happen, and this is what it feels like. I I'm aware of my feelings more quickly than I'm aware of the thoughts that are producing those feelings. So that's what helps me in putting pride to death in is in being aware of here is the way pride feels in the moment and then turn it, repenting at that moment and say, oh no, I'm not in control here. God's in control. And, and I'm going to trust him and do what I believe he, he wants me to do, what's obedient to the scriptures in this particular instant and leave the outcome in his hands. That, that's helpful, because once you've diagnosed it correctly, then you can repent of the right thing. Right. And, and that's the key. Yeah. And yeah, it's like cancer, where you might have no idea you have cancer, but there are symptoms that could very well be cancer. Yeah. And, and being paying attention to the symptoms and, oh, okay, that's, that's what that is. No, that's good. Well, hopefully this has been helpful. The reality is everything we talk about in this series is going to be a, a way to kill pride. Uh, yeah. Because this is the root sin, so... We could talk about this all day, but I think we've talked about it enough. So um, thanks, Dad. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be back. Thanks for your preparation. Well, thank you for all, your preparation. All I have to do is answer your questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been fun, listeners. Good to have you back, and we'll talk to you again soon.